Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Gwinnett Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Gwinnett Church app where you can have access to all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around here at Gwinnett Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. Most importantly, however, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, to uh, anybody watching online, all of our Atlanta area campuses, or any of our partner churches tuning in, welcome. My name is Samer, and I get to be the lead pastor up at Woodstock City Church, and I'm really excited to be with you guys today, closing out the series that we've been in with Andy called The Day After Christmas. Uh, a little bit about me. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Julie, for six years, I think, and uh, we have two kids, uh, a three-year-old, a one-and-a-half-year-old, and yes, we're a little crazy. We're about to add a third. Uh, my wife is pregnant with number three, and it's going to be born right around Christmas. So the story of Christmas is really real for us, like a child being born. Like It's just the craziness of that is real in our house right now. And you know, I find it fascinating. There's a bunch of questions that people ask whenever they find out that um, you're expecting a child. There's a lot of questions that, that we have before, um, and there's questions that we have after. And the ones that you might ask before a child is born make sense. A lot of the ones that we get asked, hey, when's the baby due, and what are you having, a boy or a girl? Those questions make a lot of sense to me. They answered the question. We don't know if we're having a boy or a girl. We're choosing to be surprised with this one. We've never done that before. I don't know if anyone's ever done the surprise thing before. Um, I was kind of nervous about it at first. But now I'm excited. You know, I had a friend tell me there's not a lot of great surprises the older you get. So I figured we would just soak this one up. So we'll be surprised. Those questions about the baby before they're born make sense. What makes me laugh a little bit is the questions that some people have, namely, sometimes the women have about after the birth. Every time, I, I, me and Julie, that we have the same conversation every time. Every now and then I'll, I'll get a text or I'll see on Instagram, uh, my friend had a baby or so-and-so had a baby. So I'll go tell her, hey, babe, so-and-so had their baby. So-and-so was born. And the conversation always goes the same way. Oh, well, that's amazing. Well, well what, what was labor like? Like, what are the, what are the stats? I'm like, the, the stats? The stats of what? I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, Samer, the baby, the, the, the weight and the height and like the details, like what time was it? The details of the labor, was it complicated? Did they induce? Like, was it overnight? How did it go? And I look and I'm like, babe, I have no idea. All I know is that there was a baby was born and I'm 50% sure it was a girl, you know? <laughs> That's all I got, you know? The conversation ends when I tell you that somebody was born and her response, I was like, you and your friends, you never talk about anything. Yes, we do, just not the stats. But I, but I get it, right? I mean, you got, a, you got a baby announcement or a birth announcement and you, you see them on Instagram or you get an email. Um, you, sometimes you still old-fashioned. Actually, we still send them. It's not that old-fashioned. You get them in the mail and there's not a lot of things you can share about the baby other than the birth, you know, the, the birth time and the height and the weight, like all that makes sense. I mean, um, there's not too much else known yet. You can't even give the last four digits of the social security number if you wanted to because you don't get that for after a month. So I get it. You want to talk about the birth of a child, there's not much to say because you don't know much. You don't know anything yet. You don't know what they're going to do, where they're going to go, what they're going to be a part of, who they're going to be, what they're going to accomplish. And you have no idea the character that they will ultimately live with one day. That's just the truth for, for all kids that are born. We just don't know anything yet. That was true for all kids, for all births, except one. It wasn't true of Jesus that when Jesus was born, it was different 
In fact, those that were there on that very first Christmas that witnessed the birth of Jesus, they knew that they were experiencing something different. They had a different context for this birth. They had a little bit of an idea. They didn't know all the details of exactly what he would do and how he would do it, but they had a different context for this child. They had a different framework that they put this birth into, and they had a pretty good idea of who he would be. And they certainly had a really clear picture of the character that he would live with and lead with. They knew that he was born to be a king, but they also knew because of what they knew about his character, that this king would be different. They knew on that first Christmas that this would be unlike any other king that this world has ever seen. And so as we close out this series, the day after Christmas. I wanna talk about just how different this king is. And it matters how different this king is. And the reason why it matters how different this king is is because of the question that Andy has challenged us with in the first two weeks of the series. And it's this, is he, is Jesus, is he my king? And this is a massive question. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not a Jesus follower, this is a big question. Is he my king? And the reason why it's a big question is because surrendering your life to something, surrendering your life to someone, surrendering your life to follow Jesus, that's a really big deal. Some of you struggle just to surrender the remote. I like to drive everywhere because I just don't trust anybody. <laughs> and so to surrender your life to follow a king to give your life, to build up someone else's kingdom and not just your own, that's a really big deal. And so is he my king? That's a big question. You might have a question and it's this one. Why should he be? Is he, is he my king? Cool, great question from a pastor, but I've got a question and maybe you've asked this. Why should he be my king? And if you're a Jesus follower, can I just be real for a second? You're not exempt from this conversation. Oh yeah, Sam, I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower. I've surrendered my life. Come on. We are so good at holding on to some things and giving Jesus some things. Yeah, you can have this and you can have that, but, but don't, don't look over here. Look, I'm giving you this. Don't look what I've got back here. Why should he be my king for all of us? Why is he worth following? Why is he worth surrendering to? And when we look at the birth of Jesus, this king, through the eyes of those that experienced it firsthand, we start to learn about the character of this king. And when we look at their response and why they respond to the way that we did, what I believe we'll come to find is that he is worth following. So I wanna jump into the birth story that we find in the Gospel of Luke. And, and just to kind of set it up, we've already talked the beginning of this. I'm gonna jump in to when the angel shows up to the shepherds, but um, uh, Caesar Augustus has issued that he wants a census to be taken, a decree for a census to be taken. And so that means that everybody has to go back to their hometowns and register for their, where they were born. He wants to get all this tax stuff in order, which causes Joseph and Mary, they gotta go back to Bethlehem. Mary, really pregnant, a lot of miles on donkey back that could not have gone well. Can't imagine the fights that they got into on the way there, but they get there. There's no room at the inn. Jesus is eventually born in a stable, placed in a manger. And then we have the first birth announcement of this king. And it goes to the shepherds. We'll pick up in Luke chapter eight, verse two. And there were shepherds 
living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, rightfully so. But the angel, angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I will bring you great, I got great news. I got good news. It's going to cause, it's going to be the cause. It's going to result in great joy for all people. What is that good news that will cause great joy for all people? The angel goes on, says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. Someone that's going to deliver us from our sins. But as Andy has told us, that Jesus did not come just to be a forgiver of our sins. He was born to be a king we should follow. In fact, this is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus described in the same line as Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Luke wanted to be really, really clear about something. Yes, he is here to save us from our sins, but he is Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the chosen one. He is a king, and he came to be Lord of your life and of mine. But something that often is lost on me because I've heard this story so many times and maybe that's true for you too. This king is born and the birth of this king led to announcement to who? The shepherds. That the first group that got to hear about the birth of a king were the shepherds. They did not have the most glamorous job in the first century. Honestly, I can't imagine it's still a glamorous job today. They were not royals, they were not elite they certainly would not have been worthy to be in the presence of a king, let alone to be invited into the presence of a king. This detail is so important because these shepherds represent to you and to me the humble, the lowly, and the everyday group of people that this king came for. Right off the bat, within just a few hours of his birth, what we learn is that this king was different. His character was different and his heart was different. In fact, the humility with which Jesus entered the world foreshadowed his heart for the world. The humility with which he entered into it, not in a palace, but placed in a manger used to feed animals. And the first announcement to shepherds would foreshadow his heart for the world, for you and for me. So the shepherds, they went, they worshiped this king. They spread word about this king and people were amazed at what they were hearing. Can't help but ask the question, why? What did these shepherds know about this king? Sure, the angel of the Lord came up and said, hey, a Messiah is here, but what did they know about Messiah? Like what did Messiah mean to them? What framework did they interpret this through? Even to hear a savior of the world, it was not uncommon for a king to call himself the savior of the world. In fact, you can't make this stuff up. Caesar Augustus, who is currently the ruler of the world at the time of Jesus's birth that Luke tells us in Luke chapter two, did you know he called himself the savior of the world? And without much context, tell me which one looks more likely to be the savior of the world, the ruler of it or one born in a manger? What did they know? What context did they have? What about this child 
elicited such a response? Well, the truth is, this is not the first time they would have heard about a child that was to be born to them. In fact, when the shepherds heard the angels say today, they would have interpreted it as the time has finally come. That the shepherds would have interpreted the message from the angel today in the town of David, the time has finally come. In the town of David, the long-awaited Savior, the long-awaited Messiah, the one that you've been waiting for, the time has finally come for him to be born. Because some 700 years before this moment happened in Luke chapter two, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about a child that would be born. In the cultural climate of the time of Isaiah's prophecy, Israel is being oppressed by the current world superpower of the day, Assyria. And so God sends a message of hope through Isaiah to say, hey, listen, there is someone coming. There is a deliverer that is coming. A king, a son will be born to you. So some 700 years before this even happened in the fields, the prophet Isaiah said this, and tell me if these words don't sound familiar. For to us, a child is born. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government The government, again, Jesus did not come just as a religious figure, as a teacher, as a rabbi. Those people are not involved in government, but a king. The government will be on his shoulders. And Isaiah goes on, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. A son will be born to you. It's as if that moment in the fields in Luke chapter two was a 700-year-old echo that started with Isaiah. And he gives us these four names for this son that would be born. And he never anticipated or expected for people, and you don't really see it in the New Testament, for people to show up to Jesus and call him these things. What he was ultimately doing for you and for me was he was revealing the character of this king, who this king would be and what he would do that this king to be born would be a wonderful counselor, that his wisdom and his teaching would transcend all human wisdom and teaching. His understanding would transcend our understanding. He would come to bring a new way of living that would lead to a full life for you and for me, a purposeful life, a meaningful life. And he would teach things so countercultural, but some things I believe so compelling about our faith. He would teach things like this, like you can't claim to love God, yet fail to love your neighbor. There might not be anything more compelling about our faith than that. He taught us things like belief is only a part of the equation, that you've got to actually participate, that you've got to actually put your faith to work and be a part of the kingdom that he came to build. He would teach us things like this, that there is strength and weakness, because when we are weak, we can lean on God for strength. He would teach us that there's nothing in this world that can fulfill you. And come on, maybe it's just me. I doubt it though. That we can chase things, we can chase money, we can chase possessions, we can chase titles, we can chase success, but nothing is going to fill you up the way Jesus can fill you up. And then he taught that there was even life in death. Because paraphrasing the words of Jesus, 
that you can gain everything, but what is it worth if you forfeit your soul? But when you lay your life to follow Jesus, guess what? He said you would find it. This wonderful counselor would teach us, would grow us, would stretch us, would challenge us, would lead us, would prepare us, would guide us, would show us the way that leads to a fulfilling life. And it's only fitting that Jesus in the Gospel of John said this about himself, I am the way. You're looking at him. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That this king would actually want, watch this, what's best for you and for me. This king would be different. Isaiah went on, he said, Son, mighty God. Jesus came humbly, but look, meek and mild, but, but, but don't let it fool you. Meek and mild, yet at the same time, mighty and majestic. That yes, Jesus took on human flesh, but in that he did not lose any of his godness. And in a way that we'll never fully understand, he was fully God and fully man, but he never stopped being God. And I don't know about you, but maybe this is just true for me. I don't want to surrender my life to a tiny God. I want to surrender my life, if I'm gonna surrender to anything, to a mighty God. A mighty God that is for you. A mighty God that is with you. A mighty God that wants to walk with you and be your strength. You remember, remember in The Lion King, when Simba and Nala, they went to the elephant graveyard, even though Mufasa told them not to? Stupid, should have listened to Mufasa. So they went to the elephant graveyard and Simba, you know, he's trying to show off to Nala, and they end up getting together later in the movie. Sorry to spoil it. And so they go to the, they go to the elephant graveyard and the hyenas show up and, and the hyenas, they're running around and they, they corner Simba and Nala. And Simba wants to get all big and bad and he lets out this roar and it's like a roar. <laughs> and then he gears up and he, and he does it again. And this time it's a massive roar. Hyenas are scared and confused. Simba's like, I don't know I had this in me. And then Mufasa jumps in from the background. That's the mental picture I have in my head and in my heart of a mighty God that came for me. A mighty God that wants to be my strength. A mighty God that wants to be my anchor no matter what I'm walking through. A mighty God that wants to pull me through even if my circumstances never pan out the way that I want them to. A mighty God that promised to be with us and he promised to be with you and he promised to be with me until the very end of the age. This king would be different. Isaiah went on and he called him everlasting father. Now don't get all confused. We still have a heavenly father. He wasn't trying to mix metaphors here, but what he was doing was he wanted to communicate the heart of this king. And I love that this comes right after mighty God. You've got mighty God, big and powerful and almighty, fully God all the time, yet personal and loving. Big, mighty God, yet he sees you. He sees you. 
He cares for you. He cares about the details of your life. He loves you. That this king would come and he was not interested in offering religion. He came to offer you and he came to offer me something bigger, something better. He came to offer relationship. That he was not interested in sitting on his throne and, 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 and spelling out decrees and just looking from a distance. No, he wanted to come down to intimately know you and to intimately know me. That this king, watch this, wanted to spend time and wants to spend time with you and with me. This king would be different. And then the last name on the list, Isaiah said he would be called Prince of Peace. And it's fitting that this name is at the end because it's the climax of all of the names that Jesus, this king, was sent into the world to reconcile you and to reconcile me to our heavenly father. And, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but there's this thing called sin that got in the way between us and our heavenly father. It made us incompatible with God, like oil and water, Apple and Android. Android is definitely sin in this illustration. It made us incompatible with God. But then Jesus came to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins and made us compatible with God. He reconciled us to our heavenly father so that sin no longer stood in the way. Paul says that our sin made us enemies of God, but the Prince of Peace came that we might live at peace and in harmony in relationship with our heavenly father. This king was born to die a sacrifice for you and for me. But then after his death, he would give our faith an immovable foundation when he rose from the grave. And in that resurrection, he defeated emphatically the power of sin and death so that whoever would put their faith in Jesus could live in perfect relationship, unhindered with their heavenly father now and forever. Prince of Peace did that for you and for me. So if you've ever felt like God was mad at you, you need to know because of the Prince of Peace, He's not. If you've ever felt like you've messed up too much, that the sin is just too bad, the sin is just too ugly, the story is just too far gone, can I just tell you, you haven't because of the work of the Prince of Peace. If you've ever wondered, it's too late for me to come back, can I just tell you, it's not because the Prince of Peace made a way for you and for me. But it doesn't just stop there because not only did he come to create peace between us and our heavenly father, but he came to show us the way and an example of what it would look like to live at peace with others. That the barometer of the amount of peace that we live with with God is seen in the amount of peace that we live with other people, that you can't have it both ways. John says this, not me, but you can't claim to love God and hate your neighbor and hate your brother and hate your sister. If you claim to love God and you can't live at peace with others, John says you're a liar. His words, not mine. And so the Prince of Peace came to model a way of peace. This king would be different. 
a wonderful counselor who guides his people, a mighty God who strengthens his people, an everlasting father who loves his people, and a prince of peace who saves his people. And so then we come back to that moment in Luke chapter two, in the field with the shepherds and seeing the way that they saw with the context that they now have today, the time has finally come in the town of David. A savior has been born to you. A wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace has been born to you and to me. And Christmas commemorates the miraculous reality that the king of kings has made himself available, accessible, and approachable. Available, that the door is always open, accessible. He literally came down to you and to me and approachable. We know that his response will always be mercy and Grace, the King of Kings has made himself available, accessible and approachable to you, to you, and to you, and to you, and to you, and to me, to your neighbor, to your kids, to your mom, to your dad, to your coworkers, to those that are far from God, to the outsider, to the sinner, to the marginalized, to those of you who think that you're just too far gone, to those that have never even considered that they were on God's radar, a savior, born to you. So then we come back to the words of John, which so poetically capture the availability, the accessibility, and the approachability of this king. And he writes this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came to you and he came to me. And then John goes on, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And here's what John is saying. We've seen it. I have seen it. Listen, I'm writing as an eyewitness. I have seen the glory. I have seen the honor and the splendor that he lived with. Saw the splendor of his miracles, of his life, of his death and his resurrection. This is unlike any other king, any other person I've ever seen. John would say to you and to me, this king was different. Come on, made his dwelling. What king would leave his throne? What king would join his people in their mess? <laughs> What king would subject himself to the limitations of his people? What king would willingly give up his life for his people? What king would give up his life for the people who killed him? A different kind of king. In fact, 
Jesus, who was more of a king than any other king, came to interact with his people like no other king. A different kind of king. A king that is worth surrendering to. A king that is worth following. John goes on, out of his fullness that he offers to you and to me, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Remember, Christ, not a last name. Grace and truth came through Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Grace and truth came through to you and to me through Jesus the King. A different kind of king. And so that grace offered to you freely to forgive you, to redeem you, to restore you. And that truth offered to you and to me to set us free. What it looks like to live in the kingdom that he is building. What it looks like to walk and live on the path that leads to life and meaningful life, a purposeful life and a fulfilling life. Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The king has been born to you, full of grace and truth offered to you. And unlike any other king, available, accessible, and approachable to you. And now, the shepherd's response makes sense. Even Herod's response, King Herod's response that Andy laid out for us in weeks one and two, so threatened and wanted to take matters into his own hands, suddenly all that makes sense as well. So now what's left is for you and for me. What's our response? Because this king, look, from a human perspective, <laughs> he beat all the odds. A king born the way he was born? A king who dwelt and served and sacrificed for his people? A king killed at the hands of his people? That's not supposed to work. But this king was different. This king didn't stay dead. And this king came to establish a kingdom that would last forever. And this king invites you and he invites me to follow, to be a part of the kingdom that he is building. So on this week of Christmas, what will your response be? Because I believe a response is almost required to the king that has made himself available, accessible and approachable to you. What is your response to that king? What is your response to the grace that he freely extends to you? Nothing to earn, nothing to prove, nothing to clean up before you come to this king. If his entry into the world didn't show you he isn't afraid of a mess, I don't know what would. And what's your response? And what's my response to the truth that challenges the way that I live? The truth that meets me at the point of my conviction the truth 
that if I live my life building up his kingdom, that's way better than living to build up my own. So he's available, accessible, and approachable. The question is, would you receive it? Would you surrender? Would you follow? Would you accept the invitation of a king born unto you? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you see us and we're grateful that during Christmas, we get to celebrate a king that came to interact with us like no other king. We're grateful that it's a king that sees us. We're grateful that it's a king that came to sacrifice for us. So Father, would you give us the eyes and the heart and even the courage to see where we need to let go, where we need to surrender? Would you give us the courage to ask some difficult questions? Would you give us the clarity to see Jesus for who he really is and the king he came to be and the grace and the truth that he offers us? Thank you for the gift of Jesus. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.